Well, Big East Commissioner Val Ackerman made it very, very clear the conference is not looking to add more members right now, but also indicated they had informal expansion talks this offseason and would target July of 2025 if they were to expand. What does that all mean for Gonzaga? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you through another season of college basketball and Gonzaga hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by Sweatblock. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, try Sweatblock. Save 20% with promo code LOCKEDON at sweatblock.com. All right. We are talking Big East today. In the first segment, the Big East Media Day happened on Tuesday. As I'm recording this, it just finished a couple hours ago. You're probably listening to this Wednesday or Thursday, a day or so later. Great sign. College basketball is almost back. Big East Media Day, always, always a fun event. Big East Commissioner Val Ackerman spoke at length at the beginning of the day, and there was a lot of questions about expansion, about just all of the conference realignment stuff that's happened over the last few months. A lot of information, very, very relevant to Gonzaga fans. So we're going to talk about that at the first segment here. First thing that Val Ackerman said is the Big East is good at 11. That is where they are at right now. They have 11 schools in the conference. They are not actively looked to expand right now. She was pretty clear about this. They're not currently in the process of looking to expand, but she also mentioned they did have informal talks with multiple schools. We had heard that Gonzaga and the Big East had had conversations earlier this summer. This appears to be what Val is referencing here when talking about whether the conference is going to expand or not. They did have these conversations. Gonzaga, almost certainly part of those conversations. I'm very interested to know what other schools they talk to or other schools they are interested in. I think some that make a lot of sense include St. Louis, Loyola, Chicago, the Ramblers, of course, and the Dayton Flyers, who've been one of the best, one of the best mid-major schools that geographically makes some sense to end up over in the Big East at some point. I'm curious if Kansas is a school they are considering or not. Kansas obviously has a football school, is a football school, has a football program, so that kind of is a bit of a challenge. But UConn, UConn is in the Big East. They're of course an an original member, which is not something that Kansas can say, but I do wonder if the Big East is considering more schools similar to UConn where they are in the Big East Conference, but they play football independently. I suspect it's not something they're particularly interested in. Ackerman did talk a little bit about how football is kind of, she called them football moves and it's sort of driving everything that's happening with conference realignment right now. That's not a not a, a particularly bold statement. It's very clear that every decision that is being made with regards to conference realignment right now is based around football and those big media rights deals. She said the Big East isn't currently tempted right now. They've had these conversations. I'm sure that they have an idea of what they would or might do when the time comes. And that's kind of the next big thing that Ackerman talked about. Ideal expansion timeline. Very clear, July 2025. This coincides with the new media deal for the Big East. Media deals and media rights have driven everything. We said it was football. It's football and media rights. Those are the two things that are making every single one of these decisions. What is the media deal? What kind of TV packages are these teams getting? What is the payout for the member institutions, for the conference at large with these media deals? Because unless that is compelling... 
unless Gonzaga drives a bigger media deal for the Big East, it's probably not going to happen. We know that the, for the Big East, for the member schools, it's going to be more, there's going to be a cost associated with adding Gonzaga. If every if Providence has to come to Spokane multiple times per year, even if it's only once for basketball, but if Gonzaga adds other sports, if the women's basketball team would almost certainly come with them, but if they also added the other programs, if Providence is flying out to Spokane multiple times per year, you can understand why their athletic department might be like, this needs to be worth it for us. This is a lot of money, a lot of time, more missed class, all of that stuff, and it needs to be worth it. They need to be making more money. Now, Gonzaga is one of the few programs that probably drives the amount of revenue just because of how much of a brand they are, the amount of talent in the program, the amount of people who watch them, some who love watch them, a lot who hate watch them, but people watch the Zags. We know that. We've seen the numbers. We can look at the the last couple national championships that the Zags have been in. The numbers for those games are staggering. People watch the Zags. There is not a shred of debate about that. The question then is, is it worth it for the, is the, is a media company, whether it's a re-up with Fox Sports, whether ESPN gets involved with the Big East, a, a partnership that started back in the late 70s when ESPN first became a thing. If that partnership comes together, how much does ESPN or how much does Gonzaga drive that forward? How much more is ESPN or again, Fox or CBS or whoever it is, how much more are they willing to pay for Gonzaga? And is that number... Is that number enough for the Big East to say, yes, we will take you, we will take all of your programs? And then then the flip side of that, does Gonzaga look at that and say, yes, this is worth it for us to do. It's worth it for us to, you know, to miss more school. It's worth it for us to have more flights, more travel, more of these things. Because there's a lot of stuff that goes into these kinds of decisions. Right now, Val Ackerman was asked about geography during this conversation with the Big East. All of these quotes, by the way, are coming from Matt Norlander at CBS. He tweeted a whole thread of quotes from Val Ackerman. Wanted to give appropriate credit there. I don't know if he asked the questions, but he tweeted the responses. But Val was asked about geography, and she said specifically, geography is not insurmountable. To me, that's a key phrase. I don't think that there's any reason that she would come out and say any definitive statement. She's not going to say, yes, Geography is a is a huge factor, and if a school's too far, we're not going to accept them. That wouldn't be a smart decision to say that out loud. But I do still think it's important to note that she said, yes, geography is a factor, but it's also not insurmountable. It is not a factor that would deter them entirely from adding a West Coast school. It's pretty obvious that this question was asked with Gonzaga in mind. I'm a champion of St. Mary's and of USF. I think that St. Mary's is a great program. But the Big East is not opening their doors to St. Mary's and creating this amount of extra travel and all these other headaches for a program like that. They would do it for a program like Gonzaga, or at least, according to these quotes and kind of reading between the lines here, they're going to strongly consider it. What this means for Gonzaga is pretty simple. We just got to be patient. We got to be patient. July 2025 is coming. It feels like it's a long ways away, but man, I thought 2022 sounded like it was a long ways away, and here we are. 2025 is going to sneak up on us. Also, it's not like an announcement would be made on July 1st, 2025. There's a possibility that if the Big East is expanding, if they are going to 12, if they are going to go bump up to 13 or even continue to expand beyond that, which I think is unlikely, but 
You never know. If they are going to do that, announcements about these schools coming into the conference would happen before then. I mean, look at how soon we've got this announcement about USC and UCLA jumping to the Big Ten. That hasn't happened yet. Texas and Oklahoma in a similar situation where they haven't made their move just yet. So for Gonzaga, it's possible if the Big East and the Zags continue to have talks, which I can almost guarantee you that they will at least continue to talk. And if the Big East continues to start their conversations about media rights and starts to look at, hey, what is this new deal going to look like? And what does it look like with Gonzaga in the picture? If they start to to get a sense that they like where this is going, what this what this might feel like, we could get an announcement in 2024, maybe late 2023, although that would be pretty early, that, hey, starting in the 25-26 season, the Zags are going to be in the Big East. I think that's a very realistic, possible thing that's going to happen. I don't want to don't want to put any promises out there. Certainly don't want to make anybody feel like this is a guaranteed thing or we should start looking at road trips to Providence or how am I, how am I going to get to Xavier in Cincinnati? Like, let's not let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. But I don't think it's particularly unlikely that Gonzaga will be in the Big East by that time. I think that these quotes certainly paint a picture of a commissioner who is being cautious, who is not revealing too much right now, probably because they don't know all that much right now. Like there's not anything set in stone. I don't think anything that Ackerman said is a lie. I think she's just, they're exploring their options, but they're good where they are right now. I think that that's, that's generally true. I suspect once they do some more number crunching and make some decisions about what their future media rights, Gonzaga being in the picture is something they're going to want, but they're not at that stage yet. This is going to be a fascinating thing to watch. I'm still There's still a lot of pieces that need to be ironed out before this could even be close to a real thing. Again, the travel piece is a huge part of it. What Gonzaga would do with their non-basketball sports is a huge part of it as well. And a, a potentially impo- a hurdle that may be impossible to overcome. It may be too much of a challenge for the Biggies to accept more than just the basketball programs. And Gonzaga may have a hard time figuring out what to do with their non revenue generating sports. The Big East is not necessarily going to want to travel out for soccer, for basket, or for baseball, for rowing, for tennis, et cetera, et cetera. And the WCC is not going to want to keep those sports. There's no reason for the WCC to do that. That's just not in their best interest. I can't imagine you know, athletic director Chris Standiford going to the baseball, soccer, tennis, volleyball coaches and saying, hey, so you guys are going to be in the big sky now because we're taking our basketball programs over to the Big East. I don't think that's a conversation that's going to make him particularly popular or a conversation that is even going to, I just don't think that that's going to happen. So still some pretty serious hurdles. This doesn't change that, but makes me feel a little bit more confident that a potential move for Gonzaga to the Big East in the next couple of seasons could be something that we end up talking about. All right, second segment, we're talking about Zags in the NBA. We are a day away from the start of the NBA season for the majority of teams. They begin their season on October 19th, probably the day you are listening to this. Uh, We got two more Zags we wanted to cover in our Zags in the NBA preview series. We're talking about Corey Kispert right now. Could he break out in his second NBA season? Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about sweat block. It's fall wedding season, and I can't tell you how nice it is to not have to worry about sweating through my dress shirts while I'm out on the dance floor thanks to Sweatblock. I was able to fix my sweating issue and still cut a rug with Sweatblock. Sweatblock was created by a doctor to help with his own excessive sweating. It is doctor created and doctor recommended. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, try Sweatblock. Save 20% with promo code LOCKEDON at sweatblock.com. Also available at Amazon. All 
right segment two. Still, Andy Patton still locked on Zags. Still want to thank all of you who have made Locked on Zags your first listen of the day. Want to thank all of you who are checking out the show on YouTube as well. Wearing a different hat every day this week for Hat Week. Uh, rocking the new Locked on Locked On hat that I got in the mail. Very, very cool. Definitely check out the show on YouTube if you want to see all the jerseys from last week, the hats from this week. Uh, we're talking Corey Kispert here in segment number two. Uh, Corey, we're going to talk about a little bit about his history. We're going to talk about his expected role with the Washington Wizards this season. Uh, Corey is, is one of Gonzaga's better success stories. I think when you look back, people talk a lot about Kelly Olynyk. Uh, people talk a lot about DeMontis Sabonis, Shemek Karnowski, Josh Perkins, some of the development stories that we've seen from those guys. But Corey Kispert is, is a truly tremendous story in my mind. He went to King's High School in Shoreline, Washington. He was a not top 100 prospect. He was not ranked in the top 100 by virtually any of the outlets that rank prospects. And we're talking about 2017. Back in 2004, 2008, 2008, to any of those years, basically before 2015, 2016, the Zags generally weren't getting a lot of top 100 prospects. They were getting some, they were getting a few periodically here or there, but they weren't getting a lot of top tier prospects. In 2017, after they'd already secured a player like Zach Collins, a five-star prospect, shortly before they secured guys like Dominic Harris, Julian Strother, of course, Jalen Suggs, Chet Holmgren, uh, they added a player like Corey Kispert, a, a guy who was like 125th on most of those rating systems. Joined the Zags in 2017, immediately contributed 20 minutes per night as a freshman, non-top 100 freshman. It's crazy to me that five years ago that happened. This year, the Zags have a top 100 freshman in Braden Huff. He's right inside the top 100. He's not going to play. He is not going to be a regular contributor right away for this team. He's going to play eventually, and he's going to be good, but he is right now not a rotations player. So it's wild to me that just a few years ago, the Zags had an incoming freshman who wasn't highly regarded immediately step into a big role for the Zags. He averaged eight points, four boards. Uh, th sorry, this was his sophomore year. He came back, he averaged... Eight points, four rebounds, 26 minutes per night, shot 38% from deep, came back as a junior during that COVID-shortened 1920 season, 14 points, four boards, shot 44% from deep. Everybody thought he was gone. Six, seven forward, shooting 44% from deep, averaging 14 points per game on the number one team in the country. Showing up on every mock draft as a late second round pick, mid second round pick. Some places had him as an early second round pick. He was gone. He was going to leave. He was going to leave after his junior year, be an NBA player. What a story for the Zags. But then he came back. He changed his mind. He decided, you know what? I'm coming back. I didn't get to go in the NCAA tournament my junior year. I want to finish out my college career going to the NCAA tournament. I don't know how much this played into his decision. I would imagine quite a lot. It certainly would have for me. Uh, he returned to his senior year, and it was the best decision he's ever made. It was an extraordinary decision for Corey Kispert to come back. He was a monster as a senior, just under 19 points per game, five rebounds, shot 44% from deep again, replicated that incredible outside shooting percentage. Uh, was the second or third best player on the team that almost didn't lose at all, that didn't lose until they made it to the national championship game, the best Gonzaga basketball season we have ever seen. Corey Kispert, huge part of that. Went from being a not top 100 prospect to the 15th overall pick, one pick away from being a lottery pick by the Washington Wizards at 15th overall. And then he had a pretty strange rookie year. <laughs> he had a pretty interesting first season in the NBA. His first 26 games, he was kind of a non-factor. 
He played 13 minutes per game. He averaged under four points. He only shot 26.5% from three. He just he didn't have a role. The, the Wizards had a lot of guys who kind of fit some of the same bills that he fit. He didn't he they couldn't figure out whether he was a small ball four, whether he was going to play some three, whether he was going to play some combo guard. So they kind of never really figured out what to do with them. And then things changed. Things changed one night when he went to Madison Square Garden, started for the first time in his career, dropped 20 points on four or five shooting for deep from deep six for seven from the field. And that was it. Once he did that things, the switch flipped for Corey Kispert rest of the season, 51 games, 36 of them in the starting lineup went from averaging 13 minutes per night in the first part of the season to just under 29 minutes per game. Part of that was because Bradley Beal was hurt and he was stepping into a role vacated by his injury. So there was a little bit of fortuitousness for Kispert himself in that regard, but still his playing time doubled and he went from averaging under four points per game to 10 and a half points per game, 3.2 rebounds per game. More importantly, three point percentage went from 26% to 37% for the rest of the season. Now he enters his sophomore year or his second year in the NBA, I should say. Unfortunately, he's coming into the the season with an injury. Right now on October 5th, it was announced that Corey Kisper is going to miss four to six weeks with an ankle injury. He suffered it during the preseason game. So the expectation is that he's probably not back until early to mid-November. So he's hopefully not going to miss too much of the season, maybe just the first couple of weeks, but he's going to be out for a while. Once healthy, It's a little hard to know where he's going to fit in. Washington has continued to build a roster with a lot of similar players, and they haven't figured out what to do with all of them. We saw Rui Hachimura kind of get pulled through the ringer where he played a lot, and then he missed part of last season with some mental health issues, and then they never really figured out how to get him back into the lineup. There's a legitimate fear, at least from me, that the same a similar thing might happen for Corey. Obviously, it's not a mental health issue for him. It is a physical injury. But if he misses the first part of the season and Washington gets comfortable with a lineup that includes Will Barton, that includes Bradley Beal at the two, that includes Denny Avdija, that includes Rui Hachimura, that includes Kyle Kuzma, that includes Johnny Davis, rookie from last year, who was a very, very high pick out of Wisconsin. All of those guys kind of play similar roles to Corey Kispert. Now, obviously, there there's... Kuzma's going to start at the four. Beal's going to start at the two. So they, they're going to play a little bit of different spots, but there's a realistic chance that Corey has a hard time fighting his way back into the rotation when he gets healthy. He needs to improve defensively. That's a big area of his game for growth. Certainly more consistency with the outside shot would be helpful as well. But really, Washington is just kind of a mess. And they, they're they're all over the place with in terms of where they're trying to play guys. We've seen Kuzma listed as a four. Sometimes he plays the three. Corey Kispert played some four last year. Then he played some two. Rui started at the four, but also was a backup three. Like they're kind of just messy, moving guys around a lot, a little bit disjointed in terms of consistent playing time. So I'm a little concerned for Corey, quite frankly, not because of his performance or his ability, but just because I'm not sure Washington's going to afford him a ton of great opportunities. But that second half of last year, those final 50 games of his rookie season, he was a guy, again, averaged 10 points, four rebounds on 37% shooting from deep. There is absolutely no reason he is not capable of doing that again. Uh, and even if you increase, decrease his role a little bit, maybe he's only 20, 22 minutes per game, nine points, three and a half boards, 35, 38, 40% shooting from deep. That's an excellent, excellent role player. And I think that that is the borderline floor for Corey Kispert, assuming he gets healthy, assuming Washington figures out a way to get him onto the floor on a daily basis.
All right, we're going to come back in the third and final segment. We're going to do the same thing, but instead of talking Corey Kispert, we're talking Jalen Suggs, who is shockingly going to be available for Orlando's first game after suffering what looked like a horrific knee injury in the preseason. Now that he's back, now that he's healthy, the question is, is he in line to have a full-on breakout season? We're going to talk about that in the third segment. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you all about LinkedIn. As the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 800 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment number three, still any patents, still locked on Zags, and we're talking Jalen Suggs here in segment number three. We talked Corey Kispert in segment two. We talked about the Big East and the rumors there in segment number one. It is the start of the NBA season. I wanted to finish up our preview series for every Gonzaga player in the NBA. We were going to do Jalen Suggs a few weeks ago. Then he got that big, horrific knee injury, decided to scrap it. Fortunately, fortunately, he is actually not going to miss any time after suffering that injury. For those of you who did not see this, his knee buckled in a preseason game. He got pushed by Spencer Dinwiddie. I think it was unintentional. Uh, certainly, it was not malicious in intent. Uh, he fell into Dorian Finney-Smith and just he could not put any weight on his left leg. His knee bent backwards. It looked horrible. I mean, I've seen injuries like this. Many of us who've watched sports have seen players suffer pretty significant knee injuries during games. This looked as bad as any of those that I have seen. I felt I feared the worst immediately. Fortunately, Suggs was rushed to a hospital. He got an x-ray. X-ray turned up negative. He got an MRI. Effectively, it was just a bone bruise. He was very, very fortunate to come out of it without a super serious injury. Other reports from the head coach over in Orlando are that he's good to go. And he's not even going to be on a minutes restriction. He's not going to be limited at all. He is 100% good to go to start the NBA season for the Orlando Magic. Incredible story for Jalen Suggs. Much, much needed break for a young man who only played in 48 games as a rookie. Uh... Suggs is obviously, the story for Jalen Suggs is well known. He came to Gonzaga, the highest rated recruit in program history, since passed by Hunter Salas, since passed by Chet Holmgren, probably not going to get passed for a while considering the pedigree that Chet Holmgren had. Jalen committed on on national television, ripped off his sweatshirt, had a Gonzaga shirt on underneath, the kind of thing that doesn't happen to Gonzaga all that often, so it was very, very cool to see. And then he came to Gonzaga and was just, just an absolute superstar. I mean, there's so little other way to look at it. He got the ball in his hands. He took control. He was incredible in clutch situations. He was incredible when the Zags needed him to be. When he took some time off a little bit and let other guys, you know, be more facilitators, let Corey have his game, let Drew have his game, you could see that his focus wasn't 
I need the ball 40% of the time. I need to be the guy every single minute of every single game. That's not who he was. And I think that that is such a great part of Jalen's story. And part of the reason why I love the way Gonzaga recruits is that they don't, they're not just going for the highest rated players. They're not pulling up 24-7 sports or on three or rivals or whatever and finding the top 10 guys and saying those are the guys we're going to go find. They're going to look at the top tier guys if they can, but they're looking for guys who fit the system, who want to be here to win, who are not going to be selfish with the basketball in their hands. And Jalen is one of the most pristine examples of that that they've ever had. He he had his moments. He was not completely perfect in his rookie season. He had some some struggles, some challenges, some bad games. But the way that he carried himself, the way that he valued winning and being a good teammate and you know being a high level competitor versus I need to get my stats, I need to do my thing. Like that was such a a welcome sight for Gonzaga. Gonzaga has always done such a good job of this. But there was fear when Gonzaga started dabbling with the five-star high-profile recruits that maybe that would start to go away, and it just hasn't. And Jalen was the first primary example of a guy who just didn't let that happen. Of course, he also hit like the craziest shot that Gonzaga's fans may ever see in their lifetime. Of course, the UCLA shot, one of the most iconic moments in college basketball history, quite frankly, an incredible jaw-dropping goosebumps creating shot uh, to send the Zags to their second ever national championship game in 2021. He, of course, entered the NBA draft after that, went fourth overall, or many felt he would go fourth overall to the Toronto Raptors, ended up falling to fifth, went to Orlando. Again, only 48 games as a rookie. Uh, he had ankle injuries. He had thumb injuries, had surgeries. It was it was a tough year for Jalen Suggs. Not only that, his performance on the court wasn't up to the standard that he believed he would be able to do. He averaged 12 points per game, three and a half rebounds, four and a half assists, shot 44% from two, but only 21.5% from three. Jalen wasn't great, wasn't a great three-point shooter in college. It's his the biggest knock on him entering the draft process and being discussed in that way was the outside shooting. I don't think he's ever going to be a great three-point shooter. I'm not sure he's ever going to be an above-average three-point shooter. I believe he's capable of being an average three-point shooter, and I sure as hell believe he is capable of being better than a 21.5% three-point shooter. So I do expect those numbers to come up. That's what I want to talk about to close out the show is what I think we're going to see from Jalen Suggs in his sophomore season, his second season, hopefully a fully healthy season because that is a big hinge for Jalen. The fact that he's healthy going into the season, especially considering what happened in preseason, is remarkable. But now we're looking at a team, we're looking at an Orlando team that's really on the precipice of turning this thing around. Like Markel Fultz is in the is in the mix. Cole Anthony's going to start at the one. Jalen Suggs is going to start at the two. You have Franz Wagner, who was one of the best rookies in the year, rookies in the league last year. And then, of course, you have Paolo Bancaro, who was the first overall pick in the NBA draft ahead of Chet Holmgren. Didn't get the Chet and Suggs reunion in Orlando, which would have been very cool. But Bancaro is going to be an absolute superstar in the NBA. I have very, very little doubt about that. He's not going to do much on the defensive end of the floor, but he's going to be a fantastic offensive player. And Bancaro, Wagner, and Suggs as a trio to build around is pretty incredible. Now, what I think we're going to see from Jalen... Well, he's not going to shoot 21.5% from three. I think he's been working really, really hard on improving that aspect of his game of being a better outside shooter. I also don't think he's going to go out and take a whole bunch of threes. His skill set is more getting to the rim, kind of getting wiggly, driving, driving and dishing potentially. 
I don't think we're going to see a big offensive uptick from him as a shooter. It's more going to be more efficient at getting to the rim, more efficient at drawing contact and getting to the free throw line, more efficiency in pick and roll situations. I think Orlando is smart to play him more off the ball. Not that he is incapable of being a point guard, but I think he's better suited playing off the ball. And I think Orlando is wise to notice that and kind of move things around with the pieces that they have and kind of allow him to to be more of a creator away from the actual you know, basket, everyday basketball dribbling responsibilities. And then beyond that, defensively, Jalen Suggs is really, really good. I mean, really, really good. I think that it is realistic to believe that Jalen Suggs could challenge for an all-defensive spot this year. I don't know that it's likely, but I don't think that it is a even that bold of a prediction. Maybe some people are hearing this and thinking, wow, that is crazy bold, Andy. I don't think it's that bold. I really don't think it's that bold. He was one of the best defensive guards in the entire league last year. Jackson Frank, former Gonzaga alumni, former guest of the podcast, wrote an incredible piece. I'll link to it in the show notes. He wrote an incredible piece about Jalen Suggs and the impact he had on the game last year defensively. If you assume that as a young kid, he is continuing to improve in that on that end of the floor. He's improving his footwork, improving every aspect of his game defensively. There's no reason to believe that he can't be an all-defensive caliber. Maybe he doesn't make the team this year because some of the voting for that is a little bit more legacy, a little bit more you kind of have to have been there. Uh, but maybe he he gets some notice. Maybe people start saying, hey, maybe Jalen should have been in this conversation. Maybe we should have looked at him a little bit more seriously. And maybe that leads to him getting some more votes down the line. Maybe that's the more realistic uh, outcome for how this goes. But the fact of the matter is, I believe strongly that if Jalen Suggs is healthy for an entire season, he will at least be in the conversation for an all-defensive team spot. If that comes with an uptick in offensive efficiency, which quite frankly, considering how bad his offensive efficiency was as a rookie, it's pretty likely that it's going to get better in year two. It's hard to imagine it go in the other direction. Even if he's a 30% three-point shooter, 46, 48% on twos, maybe his overall field goal percentage bumps up eight to 10 points, but maybe that comes with him scoring about 15 points per game, a little bit less turnovers, a few more assists, you know, just small incremental things. We don't need to see this big dramatic. I don't think he's going to all of a sudden be a 22 points per game scorer, like, you know, all NBA third team type guy. Like, I don't think we're going to see that level of a jump from Jalen Suggs. But I think with better teammates around him, with more experience just having been in the league for a year, with a clean bill of health coming into the season, I think we're going to see a Jalen Suggs who averages 15-ish points per game, maybe four-ish assists like he was around last year, maybe four-ish rebounds like he was last year, something not too dramatically different, more efficient offensive numbers, a better-looking advanced stat profile, which wasn't all that great last year, and really, really high-level defense. That's a really good player. Is that a breakout star? Maybe not to some. Maybe to some it it might be. Maybe I think if you're drafting fifth overall and you get a guy who in his second NBA season is averaging 15 points per game while playing borderline all defense caliber defense, I'm taking that nine times out of nine. I'm taking it every single time. Absolutely. That is fantastic numbers. I think that's what we're going to see from Jalen Suggs. I really believe he is in line to have a very, very nice, maybe not jaw-dropping, maybe not like all over the highlight reels constantly being talked about on first take type of season, but an improved season that maybe somebody might classify as a breakout. Maybe it just looks like a continuation of the good stuff we saw from him in year one. But with Orlando building a nice, solid, young core, I think this is just the tip of the iceberg for this team, for this organization, and for Jalen Suggs individually as well. 
All right, that is going to do it for me today. For more, check out the website, scorezagscore.com. More fun stuff coming later this week. Going to talk about Drew Timmy. Going to talk about Dominic Harris. Very, very excited to get into two very exciting players on this roster right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Available wherever you get podcasts. Available on YouTube as well. Go hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so yet. Finally, I want to thank all of you who have made Locked on Zags your first listen of the day. If you're itching to get back into college hoops and want to hear about some of the other top-tier teams around the NCAA, check out Locked on's newest college show, Locked on Cougs, all about the Houston Cougars. Friend of the show and former guest Parker Ainsworth is in his first week at Locked on Cougs, and it's a great way for fans of college basketball to learn more about Marcus Sasser and Kelvin Sampson's outstanding recruiting class. All right, thank you all for listening. It goes X.